0: Father, we look at this word because you placed it before us and you have preserved it for thousands of years. And here we have it on the verge of 1987, a new year, the same word, the same Holy Spirit bringing the truth of God home to our hearts. Lord, we place our hearts before you and Lord, you see each heart tonight. We might hide it from the person next to us and around us, but You know exactly what's going on in our thought life and in our heart. And Father, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would come and teach. And not only teach, but admonish us, challenge us to live closer to You. And Father, show us what exactly You'd have us to do for the Kingdom of God and with You in the coming year. Father, I pray that You'd so grip our hearts that You'd move us out of any complacency that we might have. That our number one focus could be on the things of God and the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, of course, this is the traditional evening when police are full force all around the actually the United States because tonight there's a crackdown on... Drunk drivers, I've heard. They're really going to crack down on people who are drinking and driving and also in this state. By the way, be very careful when you drive home because there's a lot of lunatics out there who get soused and then drive and a lot of people are killed that way. In fact, it's estimated that one in ten people on the road that you come in contact with in a car will be drunk or will be under the influence or impacted some way by alcohol. And... Uh, It's very sad. But more than that, this is the traditional time that people look back, isn't it? We look back over our past year and we look ahead to the new year. We think all the things that have happened and all the things that are going to happen, we wonder exactly what it's going to be. It's the time that a lot of people make what they call New Year's resolutions. Like they decide they're going to go on a diet after the holidays, after gaining after not being able to fit into the Christmas clothes that they got or they say I'm gonna kick that habit of whatever it is this year I'm gonna do this this next year and oftentimes those resolutions last a week or two or even a few months but for some reason especially with me when I make a new year's resolution and try to do anything myself or in my flesh I can't do it it does not work long enough for me not that I cannot set goals and get there, but as far as New Year's resolutions of I am going to do this and I am going to do that, I really don't even do that anymore. Uh, the Lord makes the promises and I I go with Him. As I personally look back on this year, wow, a lot of changes for my own personal life. A lot of changes uh, with having a new baby in the house. Totally changed me. Wiped me out for the good. It was a blessing. Change in a building. God giving us as a congregation a new place to meet temporarily. I think of the change that I almost made. I shared with you some months ago. Six, seven months ago. I almost moved back out to California and took on a small struggling ministry. The Lord said, no, stay here a while. So I think of all the changes. I think of the changes where God has brought me closer to Himself. And yet at the same time, I'm standing here tonight saying, Lord, I hunger for You much more. I want to serve You so much more. And if I could open up my heart and show it to You tonight. And I'm sure if You could open up your heart and show me your heart, it might say the same thing. Lord, I just I hunger to serve You more to be less concerned with the things of this world and more concerned for the kingdom of God and experience more of your power and more of your love and see more things accomplished and have more priorities, I think that would be our heart as the Lord would read our hearts tonight. I've also watched a lot of people. As a pastor, I get to watch scores of people come in and out of this building. Many of them stay in our members' by virtue of the fact that they are committed to what God has done here, and many of them, of course, are Holy Ghost night clubbers, meaning they just sort of bounce from church to church. But those whom I have watched, I've watched both blessing and bummers, triumphs and tragedies, I've watched people at extremely high times of God using them and God blessing them. And I've watched people at very low times. I've watched babies be born into this world this year by couples of the church. And I've seen babies that are born with deformities. I've married people this year and I've buried people this year. I've watched committed people get more committed to God and it's torn my heart up to watch some people backslide and end up tonight in a stagnant, stale, empty place. And if anything that rips, I think, a pastor's heart more, it's that fact. John, in his epistle, said, I have no greater joy than to see my children, meaning the sheep God had placed under his care, walk constantly in truth and grow And there's no greater sorrow than to watch people that you invest hours and months and years into stagnate. It's been a a year of up and downs, mixed emotions. But one thing has not changed, and that's God himself. That's the only thing that hasn't changed, is that he's steadfast. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Paul said for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, He's all that I need. He'll never change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, in 1986, in 1987, and forever. Well, Israel is on the threshold of a new experience in this chapter. We can place ourselves in A like position in that Israel was leaving the old land of Egypt and the wilderness and God was bringing them into a new land full of new promises, new experiences. And it's to that issue that we pick up our text in verse 11 or in verse 10. God is saying, for the land which you go to possess, Back up to verse 8. Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Tonight's the end of the year. And it shall be that if you diligently obey My commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. As they get ready to go into this new land, God, through His servant Moses, tells them what they can expect. They're wondering, what does the future hold? What's it going to be like in the land? I mean, what do they have? What's different than Egypt? What do we have to look forward to in the future? They were wondering about their future, and we may ask the same questions. People today are curious about their future. People plan for their future, don't you? You think about what schools your kids are going to go to, what colleges you may go to, how you will invest, what IRA will you buy, We think of our future, we wonder about our future, we listen to people as they predict the future. More people are interested today in the future probably than any other time. One out of five people in America claim to believe in astrology in some fashion. One out of five. There are courses you can take on palmistry, how to read the future in people's palms, on numerology and reading the stars. There are even college-credited courses that you can take and get credit for stuff like this. There was once a full-page ad in a newspaper that promised that they would give you, um, they would predict a whole, the whole next year of your life in pretty graphic detail for a fee. That you could have a whole year of prediction of your life, through using the stars and plugging it in with a computer and feeding the computer all of this data and it would, you know, give you the odds and tell you what you're going to be doing based on what the stars are going to be doing. People are very interested. However, we're uncertain about our future. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. Even James says, you make these plans and say we're going to go into the city and sell and get gain. You should say if the Lord will because you don't know if you will or not. And so we make plans. However, a lot of our plans are uncertain. The only thing that is certain, folks, is that God holds your tomorrow and He's got that in the palm of His hand like He has your life in the palm of His hand. And no matter what you go through, it is certain that God will provide for you and take care of you and never leave you. What else do you need besides that promise? Who cares what tomorrow holds? Who cares about knowing? You know what? I don't even want to know the future. I'd be scared to death if God revealed to me my whole future. I'd say, if God told me what I'd be doing now ten years ago, I'd say, forget it. I'm not going to go out to New Mexico and try that stuff. That's risky business. Starting a church? I'm glad that God does not reveal the whole future. He doesn't map things out. He didn't do it to the children of Israel. Bit by bit, He revealed A little bit. Now, in these verses tonight, there are some applications to the new year that are generalized. They're not mapped out or specific, but they're generalized of what the next year should hold for you and me. First of all, we notice in this chapter that in verse 10, they were going to a place that was different. They'd never been there before. They'd been in Egypt For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you have sowed your seed, watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Remember, these guys were in forced labor camps, like concentration camps in Egypt, meaning that the Pharaoh made them work vigorously as slaves, beating them, starving many of them, until they cried out to God for deliverance. They were in bondage. God delivered them from their bondage, took them into a new land, and part of that was freedom. God freed them up, brought them through the wilderness, and dumped them into the land of Israel. And He became the ruler, the sovereign theocratic king over His people. But it was different than Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. Now they are free. They had to water with the Nile River with these foot pumps and with buckets, as it says you watered it by foot. They were slaves and under cruel bondage, but they're going to a different place now. Now we know from the scripture that Egypt is a type of the world, right? A type of bondage, a type of sin. And just as the children of Israel were delivered at Passover with the blood of the Lamb, we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, and we have a new life in Jesus Christ. Our life is different, and our life in 1987, as we know the Lord, is going to be different from the way it used to be before we knew the Lord, simply because He's changed us and brought us out of bondage. And so the first thing is change. And I'm talking about spiritual change, and I'm specifically talking to those of you who might be visiting tonight and don't know the Lord. You know the greatest thing that can happen in 1987? Isn't that you come up with a cool New Year's resolution and goal and meet it. But that you fulfill the very reason that God made you, that God invented you. He made you on this earth to find fellowship with your Creator. And you are never fulfilled You've never come to the reason for living until you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. There must be a total change. Not just a religious change, a change from the heart. Remember Jesus told Nicodemus, the religious Pharisee, you must be born again. Let's say the mainspring on my watch was broken. And so it doesn't work. So I go out and I put a new band on it and put a new crystal on it and shine it up. Is it going to work? No. I'm only changing the cosmetic, right? It looks good. Any attempt at religion is simply an external attempt. It's a change the cosmetics, make it look good. When Jesus is saying the mainspring of man is broken, the heart. A man needs a change in his heart. Man needs to be different to be born again. Also, there should be a change, Christian people, me included, from one year to the next, from 1986 to 1987, by this time next year, all of us should be able to reflect and look back to tonight, and all of the events that transpired between tonight and next year, and say, I have changed this year. I have progressed in my walk with the Lord. I'm closer to God this year. I'm more fervent in my faith. I'm witnessing a lot more. I'm more bold by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going more toward the direction of my life's goal that God has set before me in serving Him more than I ever have been before. We should be able to see that it's different year by year and see those changes. You see, the Christian life is like a bicycle uphill. As you ride it, when you quit pedaling, you start going backwards. You either are progressing as a believer or you are going backwards. You are digressing. You must be making that progression. There must be change. Next, it says in verse 11, The land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. You bet it is. I tried to ride a bicycle through Israel once. I shipped it all the way over. Thought I was going to do my marathon Israel bicycle tour. I looked at the map. I said, what a small country. Tiny little country. I can, Two weeks, I can be all the way around it. After about two days running around Jerusalem, I finally sold my bike to an Israeli and came back without it. It is filled with hills and valleys. The children of Israel were leaving a land that was relatively flat and smooth to a land that was full of hills and valleys. Look at verse 9 too. Let's do a little contrast He says, that you may prolong your uh, days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now God was bringing them into a land flowing with provision. However, it was a land of hills and valleys. And they saw a lot of trials simply because there were hills and valleys and they could not plot the enemy maneuvering around them in the hills and valleys. It wasn't smooth. It was up and it was down. And I'll guarantee you something in 1987. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a year of God providing for you. But it's going to be a year of ups and downs. For everyone. For every Christian. It's not going to be always a year of ups. It's going to be a year of hills, mountaintop experiences, and being down in the valleys. Now if we had a choice, we would have... All mountaintop experiences. We'd have it all smooth. As human beings, we naturally take the path of least resistance. If God said, hey, Christian, do you want to go the easy way or do you want to go the hard, tough way and learn some lessons? You'd probably say, forget the lessons. Take me the smooth way. It's, it's, it's natural for us. God brings us up to a valley. Or down to a valley. And we see the mountain and we have to go through the valley to get to the next mountain. And the Lord says, no, come on. But Lord, I don't want to go through the valley. But you've got to go through the valley to get to the next mountain. But Lord, I don't want to. You've got to do it to get to the next mountaintop. That's part of the walk. Well, couldn't you airlift me to the next mountain, Lord? I'd like that a little bit better. No, you've got to walk. It's not going to be smooth. It's going to be up and it's going to be down. Some of you will have triumphs. Some of you will have tragedies. Probably all of us will have triumphs and tragedies mixed. God knows how to mix both of them The perfect balance. But it's not all going to be easy. Looking tonight at the news and just what happened in 86, some great events, the Statue of Liberty and negotiating over uh, some of the hostages in Iran, but also some of the tragedies like the shuttle tragedy the tragedy with Ayatollah Khomeini, the uncertainty of the future with the Arab nations and Israel. It was a year that was mixed, bitter and sweet. Your year and my year will probably be like that. It will be a a year just like the land of hills and valleys. But you know what? If it was all the same, if it was all smooth as a Christian, I'll be frank with you, it would be very boring God spices things up. I see the Christian life as an adventure. I don't always like the adventure. But God can change. There are so many changes going around my life of ups and downs that it does not get boring. Have you ever taken a vacation? Driven through vast parts of the United States? You get to some of those states like Kansas or some of the desert regions where it's flat for like 300 miles, and it is so boring. You have toothpicks in your eyes just to stay awake. And then you get to some of the mountain states or some of the green rolling hills, the ups and the downs, and the variety of terrain. It's not so boring. God knows how to mix them, to add some spice in our lives. And so it's there's changes. And we need those changes. We need the hills. We need the valleys. You know, fruit never grows on mountaintops, high mountaintops. It grows down in the valleys. It's where fruit grows on trees. You might be standing on mountains of joy and glee and experience this year, but you'll be standing in a valley, maybe the valley of the shadow of death. David said, I will fear no evil. Lord, you're with me. Lord, you're guiding me there. And I've watched people in 1986 in the valley of the shadow of death. I've watched people and I've talked to them before they die and I've asked them, I always ask them, what does it feel like to be dying to know that you're going to die very soon? I tell you, you get different answers from a believer that's walking close to the Lord than you do an unbeliever or a believer that's not walking close. Usually an unbeliever will say, I'm scared! Usually a believer who knows he's saved, but hasn't been walking close to the Lord. He says, I'm going home, but I sure wish I would have poured out my heart for the Lord a lot more than this. Then there's those people who've been walking with Jesus. And they say, get me out of here. I want to go home. I want to be with the Lord. Get some crowns. Walk on some streets of gold. Hang out with Jesus for eternity. You might walk down that valley this year. Who knows? Only the Lord knows. We go on, verse 11. It says, the land is a land of hills and valleys. It drinks water from the rain of heaven. I want to explain that phrase because this is beautiful and this is what God's going to do in your life. Israel was totally different from Egypt. You know how? Egypt was flat and dry. It really had hardly any rainfall. They depended on the Nile River flowing through Egypt And they depended that every year that river would overflow its banks. And they planned an intricate technical canal system whereby they would divert water into ponds. They had massive pumps. They were really technically advanced for thousands of years ago. They could predict the Nile River. They could predict exactly when it would overflow its banks. They could predict their provision generally. Israel, on the other hand, was vastly different. It was really an, an empty land, except for some of the Canaanites. There wasn't a lot of technology. It was a new, fresh land, land of hills and valleys, that depended on rainfall twice a year and still does, even though they have an intricate watering system and brand new methods. They still suffer today if they don't get the early and the latter rain. They're dependent totally Upon the provision of God. And they were then. In fact, God promised, when you go into this land, if you obey me, I'm going to provide for you by sending the early and the latter rain. If you don't, it's not going to rain. So obey me. God says, you are going to a land that's different. It's different because you will be totally dependent upon me. You see, God was seeking to bring Israel to a place of total dependency. Not that they would sit back and open up their mouths and God would drop fruit in it because they had to work and toil to get the land going. But if they wouldn't be trusting in the arm or the energy of the flesh anymore like they had in Egypt, God was bringing them to a place of total dependency. God will seek to bring you this year, I guarantee you, to a place of total dependency on Him. God has a constant work going on in our lives whereby we will get away from trusting the flesh and our own schemes and our own energy and begin to totally depend on Him. For that reason, God may send us hefty trials because He loves us enough to get us away from depending on us. He might send us despondent times, desperate times, where we'll cry out to God where we come to an end of our resources and God simply wants us to know that He has resources that we knew nothing about. And that when you come to the bottom of the bucket, God has provision underneath that. And God will do that this year. I can guarantee you that the hand of God will be upon your life to bring you to a place of total dependence. a land for which the Lord your God cares, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of it. It is easy to trust God in times of great provision. It's easy to look in the cupboards and see Him full and see a couple quarts of milk in the fridge and have warm clothes and full tummies, and say, I trust God for His provision. And it's quite another thing to be in desperate times having nothing and saying, I trust God that He's going to provide. I am at a place of total dependency upon God. That's true faith. Now, in verse 12, there is a premise that I pray that God will smash home to our hearts. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. God's eyes and God's hand will be upon your life this year from beginning to end. God has promised in the New Testament time and time again to take care of His kids This is a fundamental truth that we had better fix firmly in our hearts and establish as truth at all costs now. Because there do come times in our lives, and there will come times this next year, times where we will be prone to doubt God's care. Times when we will wonder if God really is concerned about us or cares, why would God let this happen? There are fundamental truths in the Scripture, and this is one of them, that all things work together for good to those who love God, that He will never leave or forsake you, because there are desperate times that would cause us to doubt that, that would challenge our faith, where we would be prone to question God, because all of us have questioned God. God, why? When you walk home and tell your wife that you've been laid off or fired or you don't have a job, you're going to need to know this truth. God, why would you let this happen to me, man? Well, maybe, who knows? Maybe the Lord wants you to have a better job. You see, and up to this point, you've had your job and you've been working every day. You weren't looking for a better job. Now you are. You have to. You don't have one now. All of a sudden, you're looking for a job and God could bless you with a better one. Or when the doctor looks straight in your eyes and the tests come back and he says, Cancer, this is a fundamental truth you better know. Or when you gaze into a casket of a loved one that you had no idea would pass from the earth so quickly. This is a fundamental truth you and I better grasp. We better lean on the Lord in those times. The eyes of the Lord are still upon us from the beginning of the year to the very end. Many people have faith in God, except in tough times. See, they believe that God will give them good times, They believe God for all of the mountaintops. They trust God for the provision. They trust God for the healing. And they have faith when that happens. And when it doesn't happen, they don't have faith. Or they confess the symptoms away. You might have a broken leg and say, I don't have one. Some ridiculous system like that. True faith will look Right in the face of adversity. In the face of death. In the face of sickness. In the face of trial. In the face of despair. And say, I trust God anyway. God is still the Lord. He's still on the throne. He's still in charge. I still believe He's going to provide. I love Him anyway. Satan will challenge your faith. People will challenge your faith have this verse, this principle, firmly fixed. Before we go on and finish up in the next verse, notice it says, the eyes of the Lord are always on it. Think of it this way. The eyes of God are always on you constantly. Think about that for just a a moment. That is so comforting. Or it could be real scary. Depending on how we live, right? Depending on what we think about during the day, how we address ourselves to different people throughout the day. It can be real comforting or it can be real scary or it can be a mixture of both. And it's an incentive, by the way, for holy living to remember that God's eyes are always on you. R.A. Torrey wrote a book on the Holy Spirit. And he said, The Holy Spirit is not a blind or impersonal influence or power, like the Jehovah Witnesses would tell you, that comes into our lives to illuminate, sanctify, and empower them. No. He is infinitely, immeasurably more than that. He is a holy person who comes to dwell in our hearts, one who sees clearly every act we perform, every word we speak, every thought we entertain, even the most fleeting fancy that is allowed to pass through our minds. And if there is anything in act or word or deed that is impure, unholy, unkind, selfish, mean, petty, or untrue, this infinitely holy one is deeply grieved by it. I know of no thought that will help one more to lead a holy life and to walk softly in the presence of the Holy One. God's eyes are upon our lives. I want to remember that this next year. Tomorrow, all the way through. Finally, God says, this is how you should live. And it shall be that if you diligently obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart and with all of your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain the new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Take heed. Here's the warning. Take heed, lest our hearts be deceived, and we turn from God and we turn to other gods. We turn to other things. The application for us, of course, is that we don't get so weighed down this next year that we turn our ultimate center of focus away from loving God and we start getting caught up in the affairs and the cares of this world beyond what is absolutely necessary. The exhortation is to have a light touch to remember that we're a pilgrim passing through. We don't live here. We're visiting this planet. We're like aliens. We're on a mission from God. In a literal sense, God has plopped us down on the planet, opened up our eyes, made us realize that He loves us. We said, oh yeah, okay, I'll come to Jesus. We get saved. Then He commissions us to take the gospel to all the world. That's our purpose for being here. Don't lose sight of that, lest we start getting weighed down. And the scripture says that in the last days, people will start losing their love. Start getting weighed down with other things. And for many of us tonight, we have to return to our first love. Do we not? Like the book of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, that was doing, working hard for the Lord, but they left a first love that is an intimate, one-on-one, personal love, intimate communion type relationship. They left that. They were just going through the motions. We can get weighed down with those things. Jesus gave a parable and he said someone was sowing seeds. The seed fell upon a kind of soil that was mixed with thorns. As the seed was growing and the thorns were growing alongside of it, the thorns choked up the seed so that it became unfruitful. And Jesus made the application. He said that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, And the care for other things can choke the fruitfulness of the Christian life. So we must be aware that we are not turning aside and getting caught up in things that are really of no eternal value. God must stamp eternity in our eyeballs so that everything we see says eternity. and We can measure our lives that way. Everything we do, everything we say. I'll guarantee you That if you keep God as your priority, everything will fall into place. As it says here in verse 13, you are to love the Lord. Take heed to obey Him, to love Him. If you love God first more than all else in 1987, your life will fall into place. Your marriage will fall into place. Your children will fall into place. Your job, your career, your plans they'll fall into the place God wants them to. Because God has established a principle whereby if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. That is an easy plan. In this sense, God says you don't have to worry about all of these other focuses of life as numero uno. If you seek me first and the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom of God, everything else in your life will be added unto you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to sweat the provision. You don't have to sweat the finances coming in. You don't have to sweat this and that. All you have to do is keep your eyes focused upon me, love me, serve me. It will fall into place. You see, there's two planes of a relationship. There's a vertical and there's a horizontal plane. The vertical plane is our relationship with God. The horizontal plane is our relationship with everybody else. When our relationship vertically with God is tilted or off base and not true and right. Everything else on the other axis is completely thrown off base too. When we seek first the kingdom of God, that relationship, that horizontal plane will just take care of itself. God promises to do that. Our problem is is that we put God in a convenient place and oftentimes seek to get all of those other avenues of our lives straightened out. i got to work on this, i got to work on that, i got to work on this, work on the career, work on the family. And we wonder how come there's no peace? How come it never seems to end? Where's the joy? How come it's not falling into place? How come it's not flowing, huh, God? Because the priority is God Himself. Knowing Jesus. It's so simple, but it's so easily forgotten. Your life will fall into place that you love Him, that you seek Him. I am convinced that one of the best things you and I can do in the next year is to live a simpler lifestyle. One of the best things we can do is to live more simply, less attached to this world. If God can speak to us in our own individual lives about what to cut out, maybe what to sell, what to give away, What not to be involved with. To live more simply. I'm convinced it's one of the best things that can happen. So that we don't get complicated and lose our focus. I don't think God really ever intended the human race to live the fast, rat race, stressed out lifestyle that we live. We need to keep a central focus. And it'll need to be a constant reminder for us this next year. before we pray and continue to worship. Tomorrow morning, you will read of statistics of how many people have died tonight from auto accidents, from drunk driving, or from the New Year's parties or whatever. You will read of the statistics. They're out every year on New Year's Day or the day after. I read the predictions today in USA Today. We'll see how accurate they are. But every year there's a high toll. Insurance companies are getting ready. Police force is getting ready. There will be people that will die after tonight. There will be a death toll statistic. It happens every New Year's. I share that by way of sharing with you that tonight can be a time where a new statistic is written in heaven of how many people, maybe yourself, the statistic of new life, how many people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. That's a good statistic. I'd be real interested to find out that statistic. I'll have to wait. But God could be calling you tonight. You might have come with a friend. You might be visiting. You might have come even for several times, and you might be very religious, and that's fine. But God wants you saved, not just religious. If the mainspring is broken, that is, the heart is not right with God. God wants to give you an opportunity tonight to make it right with Him. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, as we look back, we see that You have provided for us. You have taken care of us. And for many of us tonight, Lord, You've not only provided for us, but You've been tapping at our hearts Telling us to come closer to you. You have been lately trying to get our attention. And Father, for many in this room, you've been tapping their hearts and telling them, get right with me. Come to me. Establish a relationship with me. Give your life to me. Don't hold back any longer. Don't be stubborn. Don't listen to the voice that would say, No, I'll wait. God is calling many of you home tonight. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I would like to invite those of you who have never made a commitment to the Lord to do that. I wonder how many would raise their hand and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Will you please pray for me? If that is your desire tonight, I would like you in your seat, While we're praying, while our heads are bowed, to raise up your hand high. If you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to be freed from the bondage of sin, you want to have a personal relationship with Him and be free and have purpose in your life, I want you to raise up your hand high in the air so that I can see it and pray with you. Do it now. God bless you down here. And here, another one. Anyone else? Raise up your hand high if you want to know the Lord. They're in the back, a couple. God bless you. Anyone else here? You raise up your hand. God bless you, sir. Who else would respond to God's call? It's God calling. I'm not asking you to join me or join this church. I'm asking you to. God bless you in the back. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Christians all around you are praying for you if you don't know them, If you're an unbeliever tonight, God is praying for you. I mean, these people are praying to God for you. Give up the fight. Quit wrestling with it. Just give in to the Lord right now. Raise up your hand. Say, pray for me. I want to know the Lord. Anyone else, as God is calling. God bless you in the back over here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these. We've all had to make that decision. You said, he who is not for me is against me. I thank you, Lord, that there is no neutral ground and that you have brought these to that awareness and that you are bringing them home. In Jesus' name, amen.